Amen. Let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Cal. All right. Love you, buddy. Thank you. Hey, good morning. Merry Christmas. How many of you love, love Christmas? Raise your hand. How many of you hate, hate Christmas? Raise your hand. There's a couple of you. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. How many of you are like, oh, it's Christmas. Raise your hand. Oh, it's Christmas. Raise your hand. I've got a few things for you in just a moment. For those of you who raise your hand, we've got to talk about that. But, you know, I love Christmas, and I always have. It's just kind of my upbringing. My mom would start Christmas after Thanksgiving, and we would go into it, and it would be the shiny and the glistening and the lights. And even to this day, I have to intentionally slow down and go and look at the Christmas lights and what it all means and just soak it in. However... I've also noticed that as I've gotten older, maybe time is going by. We're two weeks away from 2017. That's kind of blowing your mind, isn't it? How many of you are old enough to remember what we thought were going to happen in, you know, Y2K? And it's going to blow up. Now we're 17 years later and we're still here. So at any rate, but life and the pace of life is doing this, isn't it? The pace of life. So it's, it's harder to just stop and contemplate. What the real gift of Christmas is all about. And I, I love Christmas, but I know even for me, it's sometimes just hard to stop and contemplate that. And there's always one story that surfaces at Christmas. Now, if you're like me, you, you don't think it's Christmas until you watch every Christmas movie that's available. You know, and I, there's a lot of them for me. But there's one that surfaces every Christmas, every holiday season. This is where you start your fill-in blank. And here's what it is. This is the story. It's not the name of the movie, but it's the story. Are you ready? Scrooge. This is for those of you who raise your hand and hate Christmas. That's why I'm bringing it up. Scrooge. Now, this story is about, we all know what it is, I think. It's, it's actually called A Christmas Carol. I never knew what that name meant for the story because it should be called Scrooge or Tiny Tim or whatever. But what Christmas Carol, I don't really know. But this is about a bitter old man, a, a bitter old man that cares only about himself, only about making more money, doesn't care about his family. He has family, we see in the story. Doesn't care about a home. He just has a house. Lives all by himself. Doesn't care about a lot. He's a workaholic. Lives alone so nobody can get to him. Shuts himself in. Has everything money can buy. Kind of what we all dream for. Yet, he's miserable. He's rude. He's a greedy old man with a heart of stone. And, and as you depict on your notes, Scrooge is the epitome, the, the epitome of greed and selfishness. And my friends, that is the foundation of financial chaos. <laughs> greed and selfishness. So let me show you what that looks like in his life. Uh, Mr. Scrooge, I presume. Indeed you do, sir. You don't know us. Nor do I wish to. My name is Poole, and this is Mr. Hackett. Excellent. Now, if you'll allow me to pass. Uh, let me explain, sir. At this festive season of the year, it seems desirable that those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this time. Provision? Are you seeking money from me then? Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. The workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill, the poor houses, still in full vigor? All very busy, sir. <laughs> I was afraid from what you said that something had stopped them in full force. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and food and warmth. Oh, what can we put you down for, sir? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? 
I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. My taxes help to support the public institutions which I have mentioned, and they cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so and uh, decrease the surplus population. Surely you don't mean that, sir. With all my heart. Now, if you will go about your business, gentlemen, and allow me to go about mine. That was for those of you who raised your hand that you didn't like Christmas. Merry Christmas. Why? Why in the world would a story like that come up every Christmas season? Why would we kind of go to it and watch it? I Just practically, I've got two reasons to give you this morning. And then we're going to go into what the, the, the meaning of all this is. Here, here's the first reason I believe that this comes up every year. I think that we really see a little bit of Ebenezer Scrooge in ourselves. I, I think we can relate to that a little bit. I mean, left to ourselves, we are fairly selfish and greedy people. To, to our own doings, I mean, I'm, I'm self, I'm, can I just tell you, I'm a selfish guy. When I had kids, I'm not sure how I was going to deal with that. I mean, I was the guy that when I did have kids old enough to eat chips and cookies, I hid them from them. Not so they, not so they couldn't eat them, so they wouldn't eat them. I wanted them. In the last bag of chips, the last bag of cookies, I'd, I'd hide them somewhere. My wife will tell you. Was that selfishness or what? Yeah, we are selfish people by nature. We crave for power over other people. And as we, as we evolve into 217, we see that even more. And where we live in Silicon Valley, oh my goodness. Yeah. And we crave for this stuff. We hunger for prestige and we hunger for position, statuses. We lust for possessions to make us feel more important. I remember, now I grew up in the South, so it might be a little bit different. But I remember growing up, we'd, we'd kind of be on the front porch a lot. And we'd wave to everybody, <laughs> And today, even in the South, nobody waves at anybody anymore. On the front porch, we have to actually go in the backyard because we don't want to sit on the front porch. It's too dangerous. And we've built privacy fences so that nobody can come in and nobody can see us and we can't see anybody. And for the most part, now we have gated communities to keep other people unlike us out. There's a little bit of Ebenezer Scrooge in all of us. And we see it evolving more and more. Now, we know that this is not the way Jesus wants us to live. When we look at his word, when we look at the Bible... And, and, and we know that greed is kind of like cancer. If left untouched, it will eat our lives away. It will destroy everything around us. Not taken care of, it will destroy you. That's why Jesus said in your notes in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he told us to watch out. Would you circle those two words? Watch out. Be on your guard. That's the same thing. It's like post a century in your life. Why? Against, against what? All kinds of greed. Now, I love this next line. Life, and it's going to come up all day today. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Friends, that's something we kind of need to kind of get, get a hold of because for some reason, I don't think we believe that. Because we always want more, don't we? Bigger is not better. I mean, I can remember when we had TV sets that, you know, you had to squint to look at. Now, we can't get them big enough. If our wall's big, the TV is going on the wall. There's a little bit of greed in us because we just want more and we want more. And we think that that's what life is about is getting more possessions. And yet the Bible tells us the exact opposite. It's not about 
the abundance of your possessions. Which brings me to number two. The second reason why we like this movie, why we kind of, you know, sort of relate to Scrooge is because he had an authentic transformation. And that's what brings the hope out. (laughs) That's why we watch it for the end of the movie. We love this story because it gives us hope that we can really change. Isn't that why we're here this morning? I don't think anybody is in this place today just to check off a box and say, okay, I was in church on the Sunday before Christmas. No, we're here so that we hope that when we walk out, we are different people than when we walked in. Or at least a process has started, right? That transformation is happening authentically in each and every one of us through every element that comes at us in a corporate setting such as this. See, we don't have to live greedy lives. We don't have to live self-centered lives. We don't have to live chaotic lives. And yet Christmas seems to magnify all of that. And, and, and it starts early. I mean, it, we all just kind of marvel. Maybe you were out there at, on Black Friday and one of the people that got trampled. I don't know. Maybe you're one of the ones that were trampling. I don't know. But we go after it pretty hard because we want what we want. And we want to get it now. And yet this story tells us that we don't have to live that way. We can actually put others first. It's a big transformation, but that's what we like about the story. So, okay, Cal, that's, that's a good story. And it's, it comes up every year, and I like to watch it. And I'm, I'm a Christmas movie guy, but... Okay, what's the big deal about this story? Why are, why are we talking about this story? So there's two words in your note sheet right there that I want us to say real loud all at one time right after this. Are you ready? There's just two little words. I'm going to count to three. Let's say it really loud. One, two, three. So it's a great story. What's it have to do with me Sunday before Christmas and this financial chaos and transfer? What's it have to do? Why are we talking about financial transformation before Christmas? Let me give you three practical reasons, and then I'm going to give you the antidote to it, what it does for us. Number one, I believe with all my heart that talking about this, it could save your marriage and your family. It could save it. It it blows my mind. I I have an opportunity in the ministry to speak and, and talk and coach some premarital people that are in, in premarital status that they're wanting to be married singles it, it blows my mind when i look at the st- the stat the stats and statistics of what debt we have and the ratio of debt each family has and how much the average credit card debt is but what really blows my mind is how much debt single people take into marriage it's just amazing they're already starting on a negative Because today we live in this society that we have to have it now. We don't want to wait for anything, so we buy now, pay later, and we seem to never pay. It just goes on and on and on. It's a revolving thing, and it never happens. And yet single people take this negative into their marriage, and they're already starting off on the wrong foot. You know, they got school debt and car debt and everything else and credit card debt because they have to eat out and do everything that, that comes with the involvement of maturity. But we don't want to get there. We want it now. So they start out with all this debt. Did you know, as I was looking this up, that speaking of it, saving your marriage, saving your family, that the number one reason for divorce is not infidelity. Most marriages worked hard can really survive infidelity. The number one reason for divorce today is financial chaos and miscommunication. In other words, keeping secrets from one another in this area. 
having a mystery of what it's like financially, what's the status like financially and going into a different place and going backwards instead of forwards. And sometimes I know life hits us and it seems like we're going two steps forward and three steps back. But it's when we're not together as a married couple in this issue, it causes a lot of chaos. And listen, when you get married, if you are married in this place, can I just be honest with you? Married couples fight about money. Do you agree? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. If you're not raising your hand, you are lying, okay? <laughs> Married couples have disagreements. Maybe that was too harsh. I said fight. Disagreements about money. And, it, and it's a constant struggle. It's a constant realignment of the values in your marriage and in your family of what this is about. For years, this was my wife, Tina and I's biggest issue, biggest source of disagreement because we came from different family environments. We've known each other forever. You know, next year we'll have been married for 39 years and we've come through some big stuff. Oh, you can clap, but it's hard. (laughs) I tell people marriage is impossible without God. It is impossible. Especially financially when you start on the wrong foot. You come from two different places. I I came from family with only two, uh, you know, a brother and a sister. She came from a family with six brothers and sisters. They they didn't have a lot. We had more. And I, we brought that into our marriage before we could communicate about it. And it started on the wrong foot. And so Christmas was huge for us. Christmas was very sparse for them. I wanted it to be like we wanted it. She wanted it to be like they wanted it. And guess what that caused? Chaos. And we had to get some perspective on this. We really had to understand this. That's why Proverbs chapter 1, verse 19 in your notes says, Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. You know, Jesus came to give us life. But when we live greedy lives, selfish lives, lives about ourselves and what we want, not what others want, and putting others first, it robs us of the life that God intends for you to have. The very mission of this church ends with to live life on purpose so that people can find God and each other and live life on purpose. But when we live greedy lives, when we live lives of selfishness, it robs us of the very life and purpose that God intended for you to have. Proverbs 28, 25 says, greed causes fighting. Amen? (laughs) Causes a lot of fighting when it's about me. Trusting the Lord will lead to prosperity. So it can save your marriage. It can save your family if you can gain some perspective. And I'm hoping to just give you a glimpse of perspective today to keep that challenge and to keep walking in this process. Number two, not only will it save your marriage, to save your family, it will relieve stress. If you can get perspective on this. Money causes stress. Christmas magnifies that stress. And we're now we're only seven days away. <laughs> And they ask, are you ready for Christmas? We don't even know what that means. Am I ready for Christmas? Well, we assume it means, am I financially done? And most of us never are because we've bought into all this stuff that Christmas brings to us that's kind of opposite of what Jesus wants it to bring to us. There are people in this room today. You are freaked out about your financial situation right in this room with this many people. And and to be honest, in fact, there are some of you that are not hearing everything I'm saying because you're Your brain and mind and thoughts are consumed with the financial stress, especially this time of year. 
It's all you think about. It's all you talk about. Do I have enough? Do I have enough this? Can I buy something for someone that doesn't even like me, someone I don't even like, but I need to get them something so I can look good or whatever it means. And we go crazy with this. And sometimes Christmas is not finished until April or May. You know what I mean by that, don't you? We're still paying for it. April, May, and June. It causes a lot of stress to live that way. And applying God's word into our life, that's my challenge to you today, that we can apply God's word, has the potential to take that financial chaos and bring your life into peace. I promise you that that's why I'm talking about it, because it's done that for my wife and I over the years. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. It's in your notes, and it's on the screen. He says, this, now listen, this is not Cal saying this. This is, this is Jesus. Now, I know many of you have, you know, electronic device that your Bible is on, but if you have one of those ancient things called the paper Bible, you know what I'm talking about? Um, it, there was a time that we used those paper Bibles. Some of you still have them. If you have one, hold it up. It's really good to see it. Yes. And, and there's, there's some of those paper Bibles that actually had red letters in it. Remember what that meant? That meant Jesus was talking. Jesus was talking. This is a red letter moment. I want to remind you, this is a red letter moment. Jesus is talking. Look what he says in verse 26. That is why I tell you not to worry. Yet we all still do. Jesus is saying to you and saying to me, this is why I'm telling you, don't worry. Don't worry about everyday life. But yet we worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Isn't it? It doesn't mean more than that, but we don't think so. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. This is the line I really like and I want you to underline. You ready? Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? See, that's the strategy of the enemy we call the devil. The strategy of the devil is not for you to not believe in God. He doesn't care if you believe in God. His strategy is he doesn't want you to think God believes in you. So we worry that God isn't going to pull through in what he says. Because we don't believe him. And we don't think he believes in us. So we don't think that we're valuable. And yet the word of God says to each and every one of you, it's looking you in your eye. You are valuable. You are worth everything. When he breathed, God himself breathed life and purpose into you. But you've got to believe what his word says. You've got to believe this. And it goes on to say, can any of your worries, all of your worries, add a single moment to your life? I found it to be the opposite. That the more I worry, the less life there is. The less sleep. We're the most sleep-deprived nation in the world because we worry so much. We're the most net medicated nation in the world. Why? Because we have so much stress going on about our worries. So don't worry about tomorrow. Look on the back side of your notes, verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. How many of you figured that one out? Today's trouble is enough for today. What Jesus is saying is, guys, especially at Christmas, live in the moment. Live in the moment. So it can save your marriage. It can save your family. It will relieve stress. But here's number three, maybe the most important. It's a spiritual issue. This is not about Christmas. This is about your heart. It's a spiritual issue. Do you know that Jesus talked about money more than anything else? Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven. Whoa. 
It, matter of fact, in the Bible, there's these stories sometimes referred to as parables. Jesus told about 36 of them. 16 of those were about money. Jesus knew, especially as we move into 2017, that this was going to be a huge issue for people on earth. So he talked about it an awful lot. If we as a teaching team talked about money as often as Jesus did, we'd be talking about money about once a month for the next five years. And then you would really say, all the church wants is my money. <laughs> because that's what people say. All the church wants is their money. No, this is not about what we want and what you think. This is about your heart. It's a spiritual issue. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, in your notes, verse 21, Jesus said this. He said, your heart, your heart, your heart. Would you say that with me? Your heart will always be where your treasure is. What do you treasure today? What, what is it that you treasure? That's a big, deep question. See, listen, Jesus is saying, you, you can be in church every time the door's open. You can sing louder than anybody else. Please don't. <laughs> For the sake of the worship team. But you can do it. You can lift your hands, whatever that means to you. Biblically, spiritually, and it means surrender. You can do all the spiritual things. You can even give a lot of money in the plate. But it doesn't mean that your treasure is where Jesus wants your heart to be. Doesn't mean that. Because when you boil it all down to what Jesus is saying, to what matters, that's key, what matters, your bank account and your calendar doesn't lie about where your heart is. I've told people for years, if you let me see, you expose your bank account to me for 10 minutes, you expose your calendar to me for 10 minutes, just to look at it, in 10 minutes I can tell you, where your treasure is. It's what you spend your money on and where you spend your time. See, that's called worship, biblically. Uh, this is for free since we're talking about money. It's not in your notes. Not in your notes. Not in your notes. Are you ready? Let me give you a, a quick definition. Write it down in your notes, a definition of worship. Remember when Jesus was born and a few years later, these wise men came. They'd been following the star for years I don't, that's a whole other story, but it's part of the Christmas story. But they worship by giving gifts. Why did they worship? What is the definition of worship? Why would these three men, magi, that means magicians, they, they weren't even from, they were Jewish people. They but followed the star, came to worship this baby, this little toddler at the time. And they gave him these extravagant gifts of worship. So what is worship? Worship is the declaration of what you value the most. And you have to wrestle with that. It's the declaration of what you value the most. And some of us, we declare that without even opening our mouths, don't we? By our time and what we spend our money on. That's our declaration. That's your worship. Folks, it's a spiritual issue. It's why Solomon says to us in Proverbs 4, verse 23 in your notes, back to that word guard. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You know, above everything, above Everything above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. Listen to me. If you hear nothing else I say today, your emotions and feelings do not determine how you live. It's your heart. It's deeper than feelings. It's deeper than emotions. Thank God for our emotions and the ability to feel. But don't let your life be lived by feeling. It's your heart. And God says above everything else, guard that. Especially this time of year when it's magnified on feeling. 
and warmth and glowing and, and all these beautiful things we like about Christmas. Guard your heart because from your heart comes the course of your life. There was a time that Tina, my wife and I, we were in some real financial chaos. Christmas was a mess for us because we came from these two different backgrounds. I wanted to give a lot. She wanted to give a little. And it clashed and it was chaos. You've been there? And I thought, hey, we need to give because that's what we do when you love people. Give. Give a lot. Go in financial chaos because that's what love is. She came from a very different perspective than that. And we had to get some serious perspective. I'm telling you, I'm sure as I'm standing here today, as we're going to celebrate a great anniversary, God willing, next year of 39 years, I'm telling you, if we didn't get perspective on this and how the chaos came into our life, we would not be where we are today, maritally or ministry. Because it was a mess for us. And so I, I want to share with you um, what you can do based on what we did. How do you stop this chaos? Is that okay that I can just share some principles that come right out of God's word that we gained perspective that really harmonized our marriage, harmonized our family, relieves a lot of stress this time of year that we can stop. Even last night after services, we stopped, went with our family and went out and enjoyed the season of looking at Christmas lights and just stopped because of what we put into practice. So I want you to experience this freedom not chaos. So here's the number one thing. The number one thing you can do to stop the chaos. Now, before I share this, this, this is an important piece of information about number one. If, if you don't get this one, there's no need to go to number two. I put these in that order, all right? You ready? Number one, recognize. Recognize. Again, if you don't get this one, You don't get it down into your heart. Guard your heart. If you don't put it down in here, folks, there's no need to go to number two. Recognize what? I had to literally recognize that God owns everything. God is in control of everything, and I'm not. I had to come to grips with that as a young man, and that's a daily challenge for me. Are you with me? It's daily for me to recognize I'm not in control and I own nothing. Even though I work hard, I'm not lazy, I go after it. I think, hey, look what I've done. But yet I have to understand that everything that I have is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Matter of fact, I want us to do a little exercise right now. Just kind of look at me. Everybody look at me. Now, here we go. This is for those of you who says, I work hard. It's my energy. Okay. Take a good deep breath. Come on. Everybody, that feels good, doesn't it? really feels good to me. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> Who gave you the ability to do that? Yet we take that for granted. God gives you that breath. He gives you life. Everything you have comes from God. The ability to do what we just did. To experience that moment. Psalm 24.1 says this. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. Look to your neighbor, tell her, everything. <laughs> Come on, everything. This is your chance to talk in church. Come on, hit your neighbor, everything. Not some things, not a few things, everything. And the world and all its people belong to him. The, the, listen, the, the deeper you grasp this, the more freedom you have and the less chaos 
this brings, especially the magnification of Christmas. James, the brother of Jesus, said this in, in, in verse 17 of chapter 1. So my dear friends, my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Remember what? Don't get thrown off life, the course of life. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. Everything. Yesterday, I, I was, I'm, I'm a runner, and I was out there running. I did about six miles. And some of you, I know you're going, why would you do that? But I did. Six miles. And it was just one of those moments yesterday that as I was finishing, I didn't stop and stretch. I took my earphones out. And, and I'm just like, I don't know what was so special about yesterday. Maybe this was on my heart, and I was just kind of stewing this message And I just began to thank God right where I was standing that I could still run at 56 years old, six miles. There are a lot of people right in this room that can't do that. You can barely walk across the room. And I get that. And it was just a moment that I thank God that I could still, I have healthy knees and healthy hips and a healthy back. And I could breathe long enough to run six miles. And nothing was chasing me. (laughs) I could still do it. Everything we own, everything we own, come on, say it with me. Everything we own is a gift from God. Jeremiah 27, 5 says, my, by my great power and outstretched arm. I love that phrase. I've made the earth and the people and the animals that are on it. I can give it to anyone I please. That's the sovereignty of God right there coming out. Friends, if we don't recognize where this comes from, then it's all about us. And when it's all about us, that brings chaos. Are you with me? That brings chaos. Number two, number one, you've got to recognize. But if you don't get that, you can't go to number two. But let me give you number two because this is huge for us in our family. Prioritize. Prioritize. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 was the verse that really transformed our lives. And we began to believe it, practice it, and apply it. Seek first. Seek first. Not when it's convenient. Not when you have time because you never do. Come on. Seek first the kingdom of God. And I want you to underline this next phrase. What God wants. Seek first the kingdom of God and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met. And that's where we get confused because he said the word needs, not wants. We, we really confuse the needs and wants big time in, in, in America, don't we? All your other needs will be met. I, and look, friends, I know it is tough to prioritize when life hits you. And life hits you all of a sudden. Just this past Wednesday, I'm driving to the church office. And I'm, I'm behind this truck that I'm trying to get away from because stuff's falling off the truck. And I see, I see this rock about this big fall like in slow motion. Hit my windshield. Boom. And just start it. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I saw it. Can't do anything about it now. I I don't know how much that's going to cost me, but it couldn't have come at a worse time. It's just like one of those moments that I'm supposed to prioritize the kingdom, prioritize my giving in the kingdom, do what I need to do to recognize the kingdom, and then this happens. Now, let me just say something to you. A few years ago, before Tina and I really started applying these principles, that would have messed me up and everybody around me. Are you with me? Nobody would have been happy because I'm not happy at that moment. Because it would have been chaos. Because I would have thought about whatever that cost to fix my windshield. I don't even know that yet. That would have messed me up. It would have thrown me for a loop. It's just just one of these 
moments of freedom that came over me and said, God, you'll, you'll take care of this somehow. This is okay. But I couldn't have done that years ago without recognizing and prioritizing. One of the things that we did for our children, this was Tina's idea. I can't take credit for this. Remember, I'm selfish to the core. So my wife came to me as we were going through this chaos, and she said many years ago when our children were small, she said, honey, I think God has given me an idea that we need to practice with our children at Christmas to really relieve some of this. And I want you to pray about it. And she said, let's start this year giving our two daughters, we had two daughters, just three gifts each. Why? She said, that's all Jesus got. And our daughters isn't worth more than Jesus. And boy, that just went inside of me. And from that moment on for years, we did that. And listen, can I just say one of the things that even added more peace to that? We didn't sign our gifts from mom and dad because we recognized these gifts came from God. We signed them from Jesus. And our kids never to this day felt cheated with that. They never looked at the other people. And I don't know what they did outside of our house, but they never brought it in. Like, hey, so-and-so has this and they have this. We understood that Jesus gave us everything. And it got to the point that even today, now my daughters have children and they practice this with their children. Because they saw the peace it brought into our home. And even now with grandchildren, they only get three gifts. And they, they just can't wait because we bring the honor and we prioritize what this season is about. And it's just one of the tools that we have been able to have perspective on to get out of that chaos. Hey, you know, we as a church want to give you some tools. And we've provided those tools for you to prioritize and recognize. First, the kingdom of God. You can download the app and get on that app that we have provided for you. You can do it right now if you want to. It wouldn't offend me at all. You can download that app, and you can see there's a way to give there. There's a way to connect there. There's a way to get plugged in and serve there that you can recognize and prioritize. If you want to give without the app, you can text. You can text CRGIVE to that number on the screen. And that prioritizes what it is, and it takes the chaos out of it. You can, another tool, you can walk out in the foyer. There's these kiosks out there that you can get on the tablet and not have to do any of those two things and do it right there from that tablet. You can recognize what God is doing in your life, recognize what God is doing in our church. $945,000, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And you can recognize it and prioritize it and live in financial peace, not chaos. Not chaos. Friends, That's what we're talking about this Christmas. So that leads me to this last question. Where's your heart at this Christmas? Where's your heart this Christmas season? We've had some fun and we've talked, but let's just get down to where we live. Where are you at? In recognizing what God has done. Prioritizing his kingdom and what he wants in your life. Have you asked that question this Christmas season rather than what can I buy? What can I give? What does he want from me? What does he want? So this is kind of an unusual way to close, but we're going to close this. It's sort of unusual, but the same in a sense. Our ushers are preparing for our offering right now. As a, if you're here as a, as a guest, first-time guest, please don't feel that you need to give any money into this offering. Matter of fact, we have a gift for you as a guest if you'll see us outside when you leave. But in the midst of this song, they're going to come, and when that basket passes, and I love this song. It's not a Christmas song, but it should be. I love it so much. <laughs>
It's just called It Is Well. It is well. But here's what I'm asking you. Here's the challenge for you today. When the basket passes, we normally stand and sing. And I want us to do that. But here's the difference. I don't want you to stand today until you know it is well. That, that may mean that you need to say, I, I, don't, I haven't prioritized the kingdom and what God. I, and so today you wrestle with that. And when you do that, you stand. Maybe you can say, I, I, I haven't recognized that God is in control and I'm not. And today I need to recognize I'm not in control and he is. And you do that right where you are. And you recognize that everything comes from God. It doesn't come from your hard work. Even that deep breath we took came from God. And you rec- when you recognize it and you reconcile it into your soul and you know it's right, then I'm inviting you to stand with all that you have. And if you feel comfortable, lift your hands and sing, it is well with my soul. Let me pray for you as we begin that, and you stand when you're ready, when it is well. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak your word and the principles that you've given us today, that we can live life in financial freedom with peace, even as Christmas magnifies it, the season that causes so much chaos and so much stress. We recognize today that it, it's a spiritual issue. It's a heart issue, and we want to make that right today individually, right where we are in this place. So God, I pray that you'll speak to us and that each person in this room would just wrestle with that question. Am I okay? Is it well in my soul? In Jesus' name, amen. What a fantastic way to just go into the Christmas week, amen? And just knowing that we can recognize and we can prioritize not all the stuff that's going on in the world, but that which is happening right here, it's well. It's well. And I pray that if you weren't able to stand during that song, that you just still wrestle with what God is doing in you. And I want to thank you for your honesty But if we could all stand right now to our feet, each and every one of us, and if you feel comfortable, just lift a hand to the sky. I'd just like to leave you with a blessing this morning that as you walk into these next seven days before Christmas. God, I thank you that you have shown us today the true gift, the true meaning that Christmas is about your kingdom and what you have given to us, what you have given that we can walk in that blessing. So I pray a blessing of protection a blessing, Lord, uh, of safety and of health. Lord, as each and every one of us walk through, may our heart be hungry for you this Christmas season. May we recognize in everything that we do and everything that we are that it's all from you. And may we prioritize every single moment, every single minute as a gift. I pray that over each and every person as we leave. In Jesus' name. Everyone said together, amen and amen. Bless you and Merry Christmas to you. Have a great weekend.